back to our teaching in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we left off in chapter 10, we were at the feast, or should we even say Jesus was at the Feast of Dedication, where he once again declared himself to be God. Remember, the people were surrounding Jesus, asking him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Tell us plainly if you're the Christ or not. And Jesus simply said, I've been telling you the whole time. You haven't been listening because you're not able to listen because you're not my sheep. But I'm not going to rehearse all of that. <laughs> but his whole point is he was simply talking. He, he moved to the discussion to say that he and the father are one declaring himself to be God. When he did that, the people responded as they had done once before and wanted to stone him. But before they stoned him, Jesus challenged them. Why were you about to stone me? And then he used that particular contrast of the sharp contrast in Psalm 82, how that God called unjust judges gods, but he himself being so different, uniquely sent from the father, sanctified and sent from the father. If he was to call himself God, that is son of God, are they saying that he was blaspheming? But nevertheless, the people still desired to kill Jesus and he was not able to walk openly in that time. So he had to leave from that region. Now, that will become important as we move through the text of John chapter 11. OK, so now 11 is quite lengthy. So we're going to stop there with the review on chapter 10. If you have not looked at it, go back again. But now as we move to chapter 11, dealing with the resurrection of Lazarus, we want to cover the entire chapter so you'll get the whole purview of what John is trying to say in this resurrection, as well as the varied uh, reactions to Jesus's resurrecting of Lazarus. So we want to do all of chapter 11. It's quite lengthy. A lot of theology is in uh, chapter 11. We're not going to try to go to all of the theology in particular, but that which is, I, I would say, I want to call it most important. Can I say it like that? Uh, we'll highlight those particular things. All right. So let's get into chapter 11 and we're going to cover all of it. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back and get your Bibles out because chapter 11, as I just said, guys, is quite lengthy. All right. Let's get started. Uh, now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Uh, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the son of God may be glorified by it. Okay, so now we open up when we have a particular man by the name of Lazarus who is in Bethany, what's important is Bethany is not far from Judea, not far from the region that Jesus was just in when the Pharisees and religious leaders wanted to kill him. So that's where Bethany is, not far even outside from Jerusalem itself. But anyway, so we're introduced to a man by the name of Lazarus, his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus has, had fallen gravely ill and his sisters sent messages, messengers to Jesus to inform him that Lazarus was sick. Now, we also need to remember, too, 
that that uh, Bethany, from where Jesus was located, was about a day's travel away. Okay, so but anyway, then it gets into verse number two and talks about this particular Mary, who we'll find out in the next chapter, chapter twelve of John who will anoint Jesus's feet with ointment and wipe it with the hairs of her head. And Jesus will talk about how she is preparing his body for burial. So John is simply identifying who this Mary and Martha was, helps us to identify even more so who Lazarus was. And so the sisters having sent to Jesus, now notice how they respond to Jesus. Now, uh, what, I'm sorry, the message sent to Jesus, Lord he whom you love is sick. Now, they didn't say Lazarus is sick, but he whom you love is sick. And this was done to uh, invoke an emotional response because what? Clearly, Jesus had a close relationship with Lazarus, even a loving relationship with Lazarus. And so they appealed to Jesus from an emotional perspective of one whom you are really close to, he whom you love is sick. So therefore trying to get Jesus to do what? Simply to come quickly. But then also again, I want to bring your attention to, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because you can get lost in the minutia of it. All right. But so pay attention on this one. Notice how they address Jesus. Lord, that is from the Greek word kurios. Lord, this is the address of divinity. Now, what do I mean? When we are dealing with Jesus from de dealing with him from the perspective of the divine address, respecting him as God, respecting him as a divine person, they use the title Lord. And we'll see this, this reference basically because very quickly, if you look in the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and you find the personal name of God, yod Hey, wow Hey, Yahweh. Some people pronounce it Yahweh, but you find the personal name of God. When they translated the personal name of God, Yahweh, into Greek, you see that in the English Bible, L-O-R-D in all caps, in all caps. When the personal name of God is translated in Greek, Yahweh, they translate it Kurios. And this is the name that is used for Jesus in the New Testament, Kurios. And it is used to identify the person of Jesus from the person of God. For what? There is one God, but God has what? Three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How do you identify the person of Jesus from the person of God? Because they're, they all come to make what? One being of God. But how do you identify the distinct person in the Godhead with the respect as God, with the reference as God? You call him Lord. Okay. And so this is how the title for Jesus is used when they're respecting Jesus as a divine figure. But what you have to understand is, even though the divine titles are being used here, it has not truly soaked in that Jesus is in the absolute sense, he is God. And so you have to remember, this is the very theme of the gospel of John. What? 
In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. 14, the word became flesh. And what did God in the flesh do? Verse number 18, he made God the father known. He exegeted him. So the whole theme of John is that Jesus is God and John chooses out particular miracles called henceforth signs. John chooses out particular signs to prove his point. And all of the signs that John chooses, all of the miracles, that's why John chooses these seven particular miracles. He is simply saying, Jesus has done something that only God can do. And all throughout the context of these particular miracles, the context is he is God. I'm proving to you he is God. He is even saying to you, he is God. I and the father are one. And again, my father and the people want to stone him. He makes himself what? Equal with God. So that's the whole context of John. But again, dealing with this title episode of calling Jesus Lord, and you're going to see this throughout the context of John, they call him Lord. But the point is, even though they call him that with the respect as a divine being, as God, they really don't get that deeply, intimately in the absolute sense. But what this miracle will do, this sign will do is drive it home in totality. By this, you will know indeed he is God. But okay, but that's the whole point of John's gospel, isn't it? Jesus is God. But Remember that what I said concerning the title, because you're, you're going to see that address of Jesus, Lord, 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 being in several places, but they just don't get it in that concrete sense. All right. But anyway, what happens? So when they came to Jesus, the messengers came to Jesus and told him about Lazarus sickness. Jesus said, uh, uh, Lord, he said, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God again. Notice how this wraps up into the very context of John. This sickness is not to end in death. This sickness is not purposeful for the point of bringing Lazarus to his death. Even though Lazarus will die, this is not the end of it. Okay, so let me say it that way. So the purpose of this sickness, even though it will result in Lazarus, death is not the end. This is not the point of it. Death will not be the final word. So let me say that. Now let me go and say something that I said once again that we saw earlier in John with the man who was born blind. We have here a similar situation. Remember when the man was born blind, they said, Lord, why was this man born blind? Was it because of sin, his parents' sin, or his own sin? Jesus said, neither one of them, but so that the works of God may be made manifest in him. Go back and look at that video that I did on the man who was born blind. I believe that's John chapter 9, all right? Go back, check it out, and, you, and see all the things that I said about that. But what I was talking about is, is an emphasis on the sovereignty of God. And that's what we see taking place here once again. And I, I don't want, I'm trying not to rehash all of this. That's why I hope you guys are following me so that you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. 
But we see here again the sovereignty of God as it was with the man who was born blind. God is able not just no, no, forget that is able. That's the wrong terminology. God uses because he is God. He is the owner of all things. He is the creator of all things and he can do whatever the blazes he wants to do with everything and everybody. Nobody tells God what to do. And God does not have to ask your permission or my permission because why? We are the clay and he is the potter. So therefore he can form the clay however he chooses. He can use the clay however he chooses. And this is what we have with the similarity as we have with the man born blind. God made this man, man born blind, blind from birth so that God would use this man, send Jesus as a precise moment to give this man who had never was never able to see to give him sight. God used him so that he can proclaim the deity that Jesus is God by the miracle that he would work in the same way. What do we have here? This sickness is not unto death. God is using Lazarus. He is bringing this, allowing this sickness to come upon Lazarus for his own glory. So God can use whatever he will, even to our deaths. God is sovereign. He does what he will because he owns everything. The world is mine and the fullness thereof, the cattle on a thousand hill, they are all mine. All the silver and gold, that is mine. Every soul, that is mine. Everything and everybody belongs to me, says the Lord. And so therefore he has what? He has the sovereign right to use it however he wishes. And here he is using Lazarus to glorify himself, even to glorify Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to stop there because chapter 11 will get you really spiritually going, but let's just teach through the text. So Jesus is simply saying what? Lazarus' death is being orchestrated. This sickness, which will lead to death. Now, they don't know that right now, but Jesus knows this. That will lead to death, but not ultimate death, not ultimate death but ultimately to the glory of God. It will bring glory to God. So whatever is going on with Lazarus is not just simply ending in the sadness of death. It will end in the rejoicing to the glory of God. Okay. Notice also to the intent. Why? so that the son of God may be glorified by it. Now notice how you heard me say it again. And this is again, the rehearsal. Notice the title that Jesus used for himself. Remember what we've been saying again and again and again, title son of man refers to Jesus's humanity. The title son of God refers to Jesus's divinity. 
It speaks that he is God. Notice that's the last thing that he just got through talking about at the end of chapter 10. How do you say that he who is sanctified, he who was sanctified by the father and sent into the world, blaspheme because I call myself son of God. And notice what did Jesus say? I and the father are one. He was calling himself God. Son of God is the title to be God. That is divine title. And again, what is the whole idea of John's gospel? Jesus is God. So what is Jesus simply saying here? By using the title son of God, what Jesus simply saying is God the father is using this sickness of Lazarus so that what? I might be made manifest as God so that what? The son of God might be glorified because notice, and I don't have time to go through it. That's why I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. Start back. If you have difficulty with any of these things, just start back at our very first teaching in the Gospel of John. There is no other book in all of Scripture that hammers again and again and again that Jesus is divine like the Gospel of John. For that is the very purpose of John's Gospel. His whole Gospel is saying, Hey, y'all, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is God who was made flesh. But enough of that. Enough of that. So what am I saying here? So that the son of God might be glorified. So not only is there going to be glory to God, the father, there will also be what? Glory to God, the son. And in this, whatever is to take place, it is going to Set show forth. That's the best way is going to literally show forth that Jesus is son of God, that he is what God. Once again, John is going to do what buttress his claim in the beginning was the word word was with God. I'm telling y'all the word was God. Jesus is God. It's simply going to just hammer that point. Okay. Enough said about that. So we now have our instance of Lazarus sickness, the messengers going to Jesus. Jesus responds as he prepares. He tries to prepare his disciples for what is about to come. The glorification of both the father and himself through these events. Verse number five. And I got to pick it up, guys, because it's taking way too long in it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed, stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Okay, so now let's look at this second. So what happens? Now it emphasizes in verse number five. Verse number five lets us know that even though Jesus's behavior may seem strange, do not confuse this with Jesus not being sympathetic. What? He indeed truly not only just simply loved Lazarus, 
He loved Mary and Martha as well. But even though he truly loved them, having just been given this message that Lazarus is sick and the idea, hurry up and come and see about him, he stayed an additional two days. Why? Because Jesus is acting according to the timetable of the Father. In all of these events, in all of these events, what is about to take place is the will of the Father. Lazarus is going to die that day. It's the will of the Father for Lazarus to be dead. It is the will of the Father for Jesus to show up when he shows up and to do what he does. It is the will of the Father. So therefore, Jesus is acting according to the divine will, as we see in all of his actions, no matter what he said, no matter what he did, he always acted according to the will of the father. He did that which pleased him. But anyway, so he stayed two days long and that was to be strange. And you can imagine how that's kind of strange. Like, okay, the disciples probably think we, we, we got to do something, I guess. I don't know what's going on here. They had a point of confusion, but what? So after staying two days, he finally says to a disciple, we're going to, all right, let's go back into Judea again. Remember, it was at the end of chapter 10 when Jesus had to do what? He had to leave Judea because the Jews were trying to stone him to death and they were trying to have him arrested and ultimately have him to be killed. And so Jesus saying, let us go back. And this is when the disciples were like, wait a minute. And they said, Rabbi, teacher, what? The Jews were just seeking to stone you just a few days ago. And now are you going to go back there? They're trying to kill you. In other words, they're saying, are you really sure about this? Because if you go back, they're going to arrest you and they're going to kill you. And Jesus gives them a somewhat of a cryptic response about light. Are there not 12 hours in a day? And uh, okay. Let me just simply tell you, because it's so long, I don't want to just rehearse every single thing double time. The 12 hours being in the day simply means that this is still time for the light to shine. 12 hours. You got, in a sense, in a very generic sense, let's just speak generic. You got 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of dark. Let's just simply say it like that, okay? 24 hours in a day, 12 hours in a day, 12 hours of darkness. It is still daylight. In other words, Jesus is the light of the world. Going all the way back to what he said in John earlier, at the very beginning of John, and also when Jesus himself stood at the feast and declared himself to be what? The light of the world. He is the one that should come into the world to evidence the father to the people to show himself forward as what? The son of man, the Christ, the Messiah who died on the cross for their sins, resurrected from the dead. Also to show himself to be, put himself forward to be the son of God, the divine being, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Okay. But anyway, 12 hours, meaning it is still time. It is still a part of my mission. It is still a part of my work. The time has not yet come for me to go to the cross. It is still daylight. It is still daylight. Don't worry about them killing me. The time has not yet come for them to kill me. So therefore, they are not able to kill me. It's daylight so you can walk in the daylight and don't worry about stumbling. When the night comes, the time when they will be able to kill me, 
That's when the stumbling will actually come. And so you'll see that too as we move through the gospel of John. But I surely don't want to be premature as we talk about the coming crucifixion because notice how all of these things in a sense point to it. When was Jesus arrested? In the night. What happened? The apostles themselves stumbled. They ran away. It was a whole, I, I hope you can get it. I hope you can get it. But the cryptic saying of Jesus is simply saying, it's not time for me to die yet. So therefore, since I'm the light of the world, I need to function as the light in the capacity that the father sends me to. I got to do the will of my father. I got to go to Judea. I got to go see about Lazarus. That's my job as the light. And it's not time for me to die. So don't worry about stumbling. Don't worry about them killing me at this time. All right. So where are we? Uh, 11. This he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus, is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Now let's talk about this part. Okay. So now verse number 11, after Jesus said about, let us go about walking in the day. Don't worry about stumbling. It's not time for me to die. They cannot kill me. It is still daylight. He simply says that Lazarus has fallen asleep and he's going to wake him out of sleep. Now, Jesus was using the euphemisms for death. He was simply calling it sleep because, and I don't want to get into all of that, but for the true Christians, God's people, it is always just simply sleep. It is only a momentary departure from the body, but you will wake up once again in the presence of God, and ultimately we will be resurrected into eternal life in new bodies with the presence of in the presence of Jesus forevermore. But Jesus just simply using the euphemism sleep as he speaks of death. But the disciples didn't get it, thinking that Jesus was talking about sleep. They were saying, well, if he is resting, see, that's their mindset. If Lazarus is resting, he'll be all right and he'll recover because resting is good. It helps you to recover from your sickness. Jesus understood that he didn't know what he was talking about. So he just simply said in plain terms, Lazarus is dead. And so now they understood at that very moment, Lazarus had already died. Now, what's important to understand is this, is the rest of this. So 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you might believe, but let us go to him. Okay. Let's deal with the last part. Cause it's easy. I'm glad. Let's go. He said, all right, get up. Let's go and go to Lazarus. Let's go to Lazarus. Now, Jesus just told them that Lazarus was dead, but still he is leaving anyway. But let's go back to what Jesus said earlier. I am glad for your sakes. I was not there so that you might believe. That's what we need to deal with. That's what that's that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. Because all of this is about what God is trying to do through the death of Lazarus in using Jesus to resurrect him from the dead. That is 
Remember the title, son of God, son of God, so that God may be glorified so that who else? The son of God that you might know me and see, I'm, let me just cut through it so that you might know me as God. Indeed, that you might know in your mind without doubt so that it might be founded strongly and deeply in your mind and hearts. I am God. Not, not, don't just call me Lord and you really don't really, really get it. You need to get this. So what is Jesus saying here? I'm glad I was not there. Why? Because if I was there, if I was there and had, and what would have happened if I was there when Lazarus was sick? You know what I would have done and you know what you would have expected me to do. You would have expected me to heal Lazarus. I have healed a number of people, many people. And this is really no big deal for you, for me to heal people. But you would not have really got the point that God is trying to make. You wouldn't get the point of what I'm saying about myself and how you so casually, everybody, remember I'm trying, I'm trying not to hoop it too long. Everybody keeps calling me Lord. They keep saying, Lord, Lord, Lord. They use the divine name. They use the divine title, but they're not really, really getting it. But by this, what I'm about to do, you will get it. You will get it. But let's not, let's not deal with all of that. But all he's simply saying is what? Saying to his disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there. What? So that you might believe. So this, boom, boom. His disciples already accept him as the Messiah. Do you believe that he is the Messiah? S same idea, son of man, the anointed one, the Christ. That's what it means. The Christ, Messiah, anointed one. All of it means the exact same thing. They believe that. That's why they're following him because what? John, John the Baptist, pointed Jesus out as the Messiah. And so having believing that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, they're following him, but they need to believe something else. And Jesus has been trying to drill it into them over and over and over. These are men who will proclaim to the world the message of Jesus in order to proclaim the message of Jesus. They need to know without a doubt who he is that he is the son of man. He is Christ, the Messiah, a human being. They need to know without a shadow of a doubt, he is the son of God. He is God made flesh. If you are to bear witness to this gospel, this is what it means to believe, to know that Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is God. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He had to have a body to die. He was human. You have to have this message drilled into your heart without a shadow of a doubt. Enough said. I'm glad for your sakes. I was not there so that you might believe. They already believe that he is the Christ. No problem there. But what is the issue of his, his divine nature? Are you really, really, really God? We, 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 we kind of go, we kind of, okay, we, we, we coming with you. We coming with you. We coming with you. Are you really, 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 really God? You see it? Okay. Enough said. 
And so this is what Jesus was trying to say when he said, so that you may believe because this is the ultimate thing of faith. And all of this simply ties back to what? What he just said earlier, the glory of God. And then what he said, the glory of the son of God using the divine title so that you might believe divine title. I am the son of God that indeed I am God. Now enough of that. And so Thomas responded because Thomas knew that they had just wanted to kill Jesus in that same region in Judea. So Thomas and called him Didymus simply meaning the twin, the twin. So Thomas here, and, and now here's you, you have to give Thomas a hand clap. Thomas said, let us go. And so that we can also die with him. Okay. I'm not going to make a big deal out of that. They were just, they were convinced that if Jesus went back there, the Jews would kill him one way or another, they would kill him, whether stone him to death, arrest him and have him killed some way or another, the Jews would have him killed. They just didn't capture what Jesus was trying to say about the 12 hours in the day. It's not time for my death. I will die on time. And this, this hour is a part of the daylight hour. This is not the dark time when I am going to die. So don't worry about it. There will be no stumbling. They will not put me to death at this time. They just, the disciples of Jesus, they just didn't get it. Thomas didn't get it. And so what did he say? Let us go and die with him because he had resigned. Thomas had resigned that if they went back into Judea once again, Jesus was going to be put to death and they were going to stand beside Jesus even if he was put to death. Now, in that, you have to commend Thomas for not only his bravery, but for his loyalty to Jesus. So even though, you know, we always talk about Thomas being the doubting Thomas. But notice Thomas here, the loyal Thomas and the brave Thomas. And that should teach us not to try to sum up a person by one singular event. Just like you don't like to be summed up by one thing that you did, don't sum up Thomas by one single event. That is the doubting of Thomas when he said, I will not believe unless I take my hand and put it into the imprint. But anyway, so then, uh, uh, in saying all of that, uh, Thomas, as, as well as the rest of the disciples, were willing to go. Verse number 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Okay, now let's talk about it. So now he had come, he arrives in Bethany, and what does he find out? That Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. The day that they sent messengers to Jesus, his sisters, Lazarus died that day. And, and normally the Jews would bury you the same day that you died. So they buried Lazarus that same day, same day. So we found out also Bethany was about two miles off from Jerusalem. And that's what we were talking about earlier. Bethany was not far from Jerusalem. It was in the area of Jerusalem, Judea. 
that they wanted to kill Jesus. All right. But anyway, so in that particular area, there is Mary and Martha and Martha heard that Jesus was coming. And so she went out to meet him. So no doubt when Jesus would always travel, people always thrown Jesus. Remember the great uh, in the minds of people, in the minds of people, the great miracle worker, some believing he was the Messiah, some did not, some hounding him to see a miracle, whatever the occasion may be. So the word would quickly spread that Jesus was back into the region again. And so Martha ran out to meet Jesus. Now, we don't know why Mary stayed in the house. The scripture just simply said she stayed in the house and we're going to leave it right there. And when she came to Jesus, notice Martha came to Jesus, notice the address Remember what I've been saying about the Lord, Curie, what I've been saying. We can't hound it to death. Yes, they call him Lord, but it's just not there. Yes, they use the divine title of God, but it's just not there with them. They respect him in that way, but they are just not there yet. Okay, they're just not there yet. But nevertheless, you can kind of see they're on their way. What Jesus is going to do is solidify it. But anyway, what did she say to Jesus? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knew that Jesus had the power to heal, which is the reason why they sent messengers to Jesus in the first place, telling him that Lazarus was sick so that Jesus would simply come and heal Lazarus. But Hogan, remember this thing about God. What can God do? Anything. But they're not there yet, even though they call him Lord. But nevertheless, you can see that development of faith that is like a, a, a small opening of faith in him, even though she doesn't quite get it. What did she say? Even now, even now what? I know that whatever you ask God, God will give it. I like it. I like it, guys. I can't play on it too long because it's long enough already. She still has faith. She has faith. Without understanding, she has faith without seeing. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. She has this faith that goes beyond, but she's not there yet. Even now that whatever you ask God, God will give it. Now, you know what I like about it? What I, the play on God. God will give it. Whatever you ask God. True, the reference is to God the Father. But also to the idea is, and he is God. And he, Jesus, is God. So yes, it is God the Father who will give. And yes, it is Jesus of his own who gives. Why? Because he is God, one with the Father. But we ain't going all of that. But the point is, we see what? Still some type of a glimmer, a glimpse of hope beyond the scope of human ability that she believes something, something. Okay, enough of that. Jesus responds to her, verse number 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, 
The son of what? I don't know if I can keep teaching this. Okay, let me teach it. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. Okay, so notice as she, you can imagine Jesus is kind of stirred up emotionally as she comes to him and I can see it like, please, Lord, if only you had been here, he would not have died. But I believe that even whatever you ask, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, I guess I'm just glad you're here. And so Jesus simply says, your brother's going to rise again. Now, Martha misunderstood Jesus word in the rising again, thinking that Jesus was speaking on the last day. She says, yes, Lord, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the dead on the last day, that is the final resurrection, okay? So she said, yes, Lord, it is true. I know he's going to rise again, but Jesus looks, and you can imagine how he fastens his eyes on Martha, and he says to him, here, here we have another one of those, a go, a me, one of those I am statements of Jesus. Remember, the I am statements of Jesus are built upon, the point is that I am God, Isaiah 41, even chapters 40 through 45, Exodus 3, 14, I am that I am. The whole statement of I am, I am God, I am who I am. Uh, and God said, there is no one like me. There's no other besides me, things of that nature. But the I am here is being used with respect to the resurrection of the dead. So what does the I am statement say? How did Jesus use it? <laughs> I'm in a hurry because it's so long. I am the resurrection and I am the life. And notice in the resurrection, that means those who were dead come back to life and those who are alive, their life and those who are alive continue to live. So whether it's coming from the dead, you will come to life or whether in life, you will remain in life. Why? I am the resurrection. In me is the embodiment of life itself. Whether one has died or whether one lives in me, I faith in me grants life because I am the grantor of life itself. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Do you feel the power of what Jesus said? Because the whole issue is Lazarus is dead. And the situation, that idea, the idea in general, is hopeless in that sense. It's hopeless in that sense of being dead. But Jesus simply saying, uh-uh, as long as I am, life is because life finds itself in me. But wait a minute, I thought life found itself in God. I thought it was God who began all life. I thought that it was God from whom all life is held together and from whom all life consists. Yes, it is God from whom life comes and is held together. And what is Jesus saying? And it is me. And that's why the apostle Paul said, for in him, all things are held together. But we ain't going there long enough already. I am the resurrection. He who believes in me, even will, yeah, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. That is now speaking clearly of what? Of Lazarus. Lazarus was a believer in Jesus. Lazarus believed in the Messiahship of Jesus. And Jesus saying there is life even in from those who die. Now, we understand that Jesus is dealing with 
Two things here. Number one, the continuing spiritual life of the believer. That is, all those who believe in Jesus always have life in Jesus, spiritual life. They continue to live in an unbroken manner. But Jesus is also speaking of eternal life, the resurrection life. That is, even though believers will die, many believers will die because, okay, I ain't gonna get into all of that. Let me just simply say it this way. Even though believers may die, all right? Let me just simply say it without getting into all the minutia. Even though believers may die, they will one day be resurrected again in, into immortality with eternal bodies to be with Jesus. So therefore, whether life spiritually forever or life eternally with Jesus, he embodies the fullness of life in, because he is God. All right. Uh, so where am I? And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And that's what he means by will never. Ume are the two Greek words. Ume, which means never, never, never die. And that speaks to spiritual. There will never be spiritual death for the believer. But there will, and, there, and even though there may be physical death, there will never be spiritual death. But ultimately, there will be a resurrection. I am the resurrection. Resurrected to what? Life. I am the life. Life. Life swallowed up by life in the person of Jesus. All right. Enough said. And so she responded and said, and I like this, it is so tender. When she says, yes, Lord. Nay, Kuri. Again, notice. Okay. I can't hammer it every time. Yes, Lord. See it? See it? Is it God? 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 She's getting there. She's getting there. She's getting there. She is definitely on her way. He asked her, do you believe this? Her response, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. Number one, the, see, the Christ. You are, the Christ is what? One, son of man, Christ, Messiah. All of it means the same thing. I believe that you are the Christ comes in a human body, the anointed one sent to Israel. But watch this now, the son of God, the son of God. I believe she uses clearly the divine one calls him Lord Two, Now she calls him son of God, which is clearly the divine title. I believe that you are indeed God in the flesh, Christ, man, son of God, God. You are God in the flesh, the one who was to come into the world. You are that coming one. And I believe that Martha is very much so on her way to really getting the point, driving home the point in John chapter 11, the point of John, the writer of the gospel of John, his point, what? He is God. What do we have been declared for Martha? I believe that you're not, you're the Christ, not only just the Messiah, you are God. You are the son of God. But anyway, let's go on as we keep on building this thing because we're running out of time. 28. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. 
Now, Jesus has not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly they w and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, again, so now, now it's Mary's turn. After we see the confession of Martha, what's important about that confession, I believe that you are the Christ, flesh, human being, the Messiah, son of God, divine being, God, the coming one into the world. After that confession, she goes and runs and tells her sister that the master has come. And Mary's at the house, you know, all, all the people there, the rest of the Jews, because it was a common thing when a person would die that the people would come and comfort the family in their mourning. We even do the same thing today. And so she is there in the house. She hears word that Jesus is there. So she runs out to Jesus and she falls to his feet and she says the same words that her sister says. And again, I've already been through it. Notice how she references Jesus, the divine title, Lord. And notice again what she says. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knew if Jesus was there, he would have healed Jesus. She knew he had the power to heal Jesus. But there is one. There is one who has a power beyond healing. There is one who has the power to cause the dead to live again. Only God can do this. I know you can heal him. I know that. And if you had been here, you could have done that. You would have done that. But she's not there yet. So what happens? So let's continue now. So the people, when they saw her rush to go out of the house to meet Jesus. Okay. I got a little ahead of myself. But they saw her rush out to meet Jesus. They thought that she was being overcome with emotion. That uh, Mary was overcome with emotion and she was running out to the grave and she was going to go mourn her brother at the grave. They didn't know that she was going to meet Jesus. All right. So the people followed behind. So what do we have? We have now the people who were following after Jesus, so a little uh, 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 who normally follow after Jesus. You got the disciples of Jesus. You got this crowd of people who were in Bethany with Mary, comforting Mary and Martha. So we got a, little, a nice little crowd building to witness this event. That's what I'm trying to get you to. All right. So she fell at Jesus' feet. Verse number 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came, also, came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, within came to the tomb. Now let's stop right there because right, we, we should rightly stop there. So what happened? So after Jesus seeing, you know, the, both of the girls, they're really upset about him and she's crying and, and Jesus see her, her weeping and the Jews who were weeping too, Jesus also was moved with emotion. 
Understand, that's what it means. He was deeply moved in spirit and was struggling. So his emotions were struggling. Now, Jesus knew what he would do. He knew the reason why this, this sickness has not come to the death, to end in death for Lazarus, but for the glory of God and the glory of the Son of God. So Jesus knew how the story would play out. Yet he was human. He was fully human. He was grieved. No doubt he was grieved at sin and the consequences of sin. What is the consequence of sin? Death. When I say the consequence of sin, not so much as what Lazarus has done to bring about his death. No, but what Adam did in Genesis chapter three. For the day that you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, know this, Adam, you will surely die. And the consequences of sin, how it brought forth death and led to the longest funeral procession of human beings throughout history. Jesus, no doubt, grieved because of what sin has done to humanity. No doubt of what sin, the, the consequences of sin has done even to his friend Lazarus, whom he loved. We can see the grief, okay? And then also too, what? There we see Jesus weeping and the people took notice of Jesus actually weeping. The only place in scripture where it says Jesus actually wept in a public place. The people saw and they took notice. They said, oh man, he must have truly, truly loved Lazarus. But even in the very midst of all of that uh, 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 mournful and emotional situation, some of the people began to show the doubt. Now, and this is why we see this miracle the doubting. What did they say? Could not this man who opened the eyes of the man born blind? See, notice I come right out of chapter nine. This great miracle of a man born blind. But what is the point of the man born blind being healed by Jesus? Only God could do these things. And yet, what can you see? These very people were still not believing in him. And now this sets a second reason for what? Jesus is grief. So the first reason of his grief, we can see Jesus grieving in his humanity. Why? Because his friend Lazarus is dead. And we can see the sisters to whom he's close to, Jesus close to, they're all grieving and the people grieving. But then we also see Jesus grieving because of the people's unbelief. Why? For in all the things that Jesus had done, yet they did not believe in him. They did not take his word for what he said he was. Son of man, Christ, son of God, God, one with the father, one equal with God. They still rejected him. And we see Jesus doing what? Yet grieving. But now let's continue. Uh, uh, so uh, now, end of 38, end of 38. Now, it was a cave and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it 
so that they may believe that you sent me. Now let's talk about this section. So they go up to the place where they had buried Lazarus. It was a cave with a stone on top, a stone on the cave. When they came to the place, Jesus commanded them to remove the stone. But when he did, Martha uh, 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 said uh, she was kind of shocked that Jesus wanted to move the stone because Lazarus had been dead for four days. And so by that time, Martha said his body had gone into decay and there would be a great stink because Lazarus had now been dead for four days. And in the hot, humid weather of Judea, the body would decay rapidly and it would really begin to stink really bad by now. So Martha said, oh no, Lord, don't, don't move the stone. He's been dead for four days and now he stinks. And with that, now let me add to you this. Why is this miracle unique? Remember, Jesus raised people from the dead once before, once before. But why was this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead? Now, this is central. This, what I'm about to tell you guys, is central to the resurrection of Lazarus and understanding the, the importance of this miracle and why this miracle, this sign is saying that Jesus is God. Okay, this is the deal. Remember when they first came to Jesus, they sent messages to Jesus and it told him Lazarus was sick and Jesus waited for two days before he went to Lazarus. And when Jesus even went to Lazarus, he said Lazarus was already dead. That was after the two days that Jesus waited. And also that it took a day, it took a day for Jesus to travel there. Okay. To get from where he was to uh, Bethany. So the trip from the messengers to Jesus Jesus stand two days and Jesus arriving at Bethany four days. Lazarus died that day that they sent Jesus. All right. The day that Lazarus died, the Jews believe Now this is the Jewish belief. See, Jesus had healed. I'm sorry. Jesus had resurrected a person from the dead. Remember the, the widow's son, the widow, the widow of Nain, who the, who's, who's coffin. Jesus touched that coffin and resurrected the boy from the dead. All right. But that boy had died that day. That's what you need to understand. But this time, Lazarus was dead four days and his body had entered into decay. The Jews believe that the spirit of a, the spirit of a person, the spirit of a person remained with their bodies for three days, three days. And that after three days, the spirit departs from the body and goes to Sheol, goes to, let me just simply say, it goes to wherever it goes. We just simply call it to Sheol, paradise. You'll see it talk about it in Luke chapter 16. All right. So they believe that the spirit will stay with the body for three days. After three days, the spirit leaves. The only way that the person can live again is that God would have to resurrect the person from the dead. Notice what I just said. The only way the person can live again is that God would have to resurrect the person from the dead. For after three days, the spirit went into Sheol, paradise, and only God had the power to bring that body back from decayed life. Bring it back. 
reunite the spirit with the person once again and bring to life after three days. Only God can do these things. You got it? Because if it was before three days, if it was in that time period, the spirit was already with the body. You got it? With the body and there could be a resurrection. Resurrection was nothing new. We know that Elijah resurrected people from the dead. You got that? Jesus resurrected people earlier from the dead. But never has it been recorded that after three days, this is the fourth day, once the person's body has gone into decay and the spirit has permanently left the body, nowhere else and no one else has ever raised a person under certain, under such conditions. Why? Because only God can resurrect a person at this point. And this is why Jesus stayed when they came, when they sent the messengers to Jesus, he stayed two days, knowing it'll take him another day to get there. This is why Jesus stayed. And this is why Jesus said, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Why? Because I am going to resurrect Lazarus from the dead in such a way that you know you will say there is no way. Only God can resurrect a person from the dead after being dead for four days with a decayed body. All Jews knew this. And that's why Jesus said, I'm glad for your sake I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Believe what? Not that he is the Christ. They already believe that, but believe that I am God. Why? Because I am going to do something that you know only God can do. Now, see, y'all been on the fence. Y'all been not quite there, not quite there. Is it God? Is it? Yeah, but what I'm about to do, I'm about to show up and show out and prove to you beyond any reasonable doubt, I indeed am God. Okay, I'm way too long and I'm doing way too much preaching on this, but I told you guys to grab some coffee, but let me go on. So Jesus, he says, roll the stone back. She protested, he was dead. He's stinking for four days. Jesus said, didn't I say to you, if you believe, so Jesus here, is pushing her. Jesus is, 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 is saying, believe. He's challenging. Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Demonstrate that you believe. What did you say? You said, your sister, he is the Christ, son of God. You said that. You said that. Do you really believe that? If you believe that, then roll that stone away. And see the glory of God. Now I thought that Jesus was about to do something. He is. But notice how Jesus uh, crouches. Notice the language that Jesus crouches his own miracle. You will see the glory of God. Idea. He's pointing to himself. Yes, the father is present and working. Yes, he prays to the father. Yes, but it is Jesus who is about to do this thing. So what happened? So he prays unto God. He raises his eye. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I always know that you hear me. And the reason why I'm stating these things is not because 
I don't think that you hear me. But the reason why I am saying these things even out loud, I'm saying this prayer even what? out loud is because of all of these people standing by. Remember, some of those very people were saying, is not he the one who opened the eyes of the man born blind? Couldn't he have kept this man in the eyes of all of these unbelievers? Those who do not believe me and those who reject me and those who wanted even to stone me because I said that I was God, the son of God, because I made myself equal with God. I said it. I prayed this prayer out loud for their benefit so that they could hear me so that they could know what I have been saying about myself. What I have been saying about you is the truth. That he is God and that's the truth. But, okay, enough preaching on that. So that they will know what? That you have sent me. Let's continue. Let's, let's come on to the close because it's long enough. When he had said these things in verse number 43, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I like all of these imperatives. I like that. But anyway, therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Now let's talk about this section. Okay. So now after the prayer of Jesus, the, 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 uh, turn on the theater of your mind. The rock has been rolled away from the face of the tomb. Jesus standing in front of the tomb and in an absolute commanding voice. Everybody say, I like the verbs. In a commanding voice. All of these verbs are in the imperatives. Jesus is speaking as one with authority, but he is speaking of one who has the authority of God himself, one who has the power, who has the authority to command the soul of a man from Sheol, from paradise. He has the power to command that soul and the power to renew that body. You got to understand, man, do you know what Jesus did? He had the body was stinking and decayed. He renewed that man's body. If you thought giving the blind man an eye was something special, you ain't seen nothing yet. He didn't just simply renew an eye. Jesus renewed the whole body. I have the power to give this man his body back. I can renew it and I can bring his soul. I can grab his soul from paradise itself and slam it right back into his body. Lazarus come forward. Only God can do that. He speaks with the authority and power of God alone, which is another reason it's in the back of my mind. Why this miracle, this sign, this chapter, John is so long. Why? Because this sign of Jesus was so important. He restored that man's dead, rotten body, took his soul out of paradise, 
put it back into his body. That's what Jesus did. Something that only God can do. But again, and notice he said, let me, let me help, let me help y'all out because I think some of you guys are missing the importance of this. When Jesus resurrected Lazarus, he had to call him by name. At this time, Jesus was acting in the full power, might, and authority of God. He had to say Lazarus. Why, why pastor? Why do you say he had to say Lazarus? If Jesus has simply said, come forth, every single joker who ever died would have resurrected from the dead. Every single joker human being who ever died would have resurrected from the dead because he said already in John chapter five that the day is coming when he, the son of man, will speak and those in the grave will rise. The day will come when Jesus will speak and the dead will rise. He had to call Lazarus by name or all would have resurrected from the dead. He had to say, just you and you alone come. Don't you like that? Enough of that because I preached the whole while through and supposed to have been teaching. But now you see why he says Lazarus called him by name and the coming forth. All of the language is the language of imperatives. Jesus is commanding everything and everybody. So when Lazarus come out of the grave with a, with a body that has been restored, he has his wrappings on, his grave cloths. So you know, they wrap him and pre prepare his body for burial. So he comes out of there still wrapped in all of the grave cloth. And Jesus simply says, take that stuff out of him so he can be free to move around. And so when they saw that, verse number 45, now let me deal with that. Many of the Jews who came to Mary, okay, see it now? This was something that was witnessed by Jesus' disciples. What did Jesus say to his disciples? I'm glad I was not there to Jesus' own disciples so that you may believe. Who was also there? Mary and Martha. And who was also there? The people, Jews, who were comforting her in the house. The people who also knew of Jesus opening the eyes of the blind man. People who also were not believing in Jesus at that time. You got it? What happened? When many of the Jews who came saw what he had done. Now, that word that is used for saw is they, it is, they are saminoi. Now, they are saminoi. Or they are saminoi. It means not just simply to see with the eyes. It means to see with contemplation. In other words, as they saw that they knew of the situation with Lazarus, knew he'd been dead, knew he was thinking. So they're watching the whole thing play out. And here Jesus talking about, he, they knew that Jesus was going to try to resurrect the man. When they actually saw Jesus resurrect him with a command to come forward, they began, they said, like, wait a minute here. What did he just do? And what just, so what does this mean about Jesus? Exactly who is he? And they came to the conclusion, that's what the word saw means, all right? So that's why I don't, I don't, it means like to behold with intent, to behold with consideration and in a thoughtful manner. They began to say what? What he's been saying about himself is the truth. He is the son of God. He is God. Why? 
Only God can do what he just did. Jesus did not just simply resurrect the man from the dead. We've seen him do that before. But he just resurrected a man from the dead by restoring his decrepit corpse and commanding his spirit to return from Sheol back into his body. He just did something that all of us know. Only God can do this. And what was the result? Many of them began to believe. They are not just simply believing because the whole idea is that what Jesus said to his disciples. I'm glad I went there so that you might believe. Not just believing that he is the Christ. His own disciples believe he was the Christ. But what is the point? You need, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. You're almost there with what? Believing he is God. This becomes concrete. This miracle is so off the chain. They're saying what? Man, he got to be who he says that he is. What is the continuing context? We've been wanting to we've been wanting to stone him. We've been wanting to arrest him and we've been wanting to kill him. Why have you been wanting to? Because he is a man and he keeps making himself out to be God. He keeps doing that. And all of a sudden he does this Lazarus miracle and they start to think to themselves, well, I be doggone. Well, maybe he is just who he says that he is. And many begin to believe. But on the flip of a coin, on the other side of the coin, just like many believe, some continue in their disbelief. As Jesus said, what? Again and again, you ain't my sheep. You are not gifts from my father. So what do they do? They, in their continued rebellion, obstinacy, and unbelief, they go to the Pharisees who hated Jesus, who wants to kill Jesus, and tell Jesus, tell the Pharisees everything that Jesus had just done. Now, you can imagine, wow, there is a big time wow factor as he's telling the Pharisees, as they're telling the Pharisees what Jesus has done. But the point is, they're not going to the Pharisees to get the Pharisees to believe. They're going to the Pharisees because they are with the Pharisees. They go along with the Pharisees and they are unbelieving with the Pharisees. And even this miracle, this sign of Jesus still did not open their eyes. They still did not believe. So what happened? The miracle of Lazarus resurrection Cause it brought some over the fence. Some believed and there were some who still continued in disbelief. Okay, so now let's deal with this. So now that we have gone, we're going to try to bring it to a close. They've gone out to the Pharisees. The unbelievers have gone to the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees want to get rid of Jesus. They already been saying that Jesus has been able to do the things that he has done by the power of a demon. Remember that? From Matthew chapter 12, he cast out demons through the power of demons. You can do these things because of Beelzebub and you are Shamrani, uh, Samaritan. That's what it's translated. But we've done with all of that. Already the Pharisees rejected Jesus. But here now Jesus had done an, a miracle so astounding. They are put into a position. They don't know what to do. They got to do something. So now let's deal with the rest of it. 47. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? 
for this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Let me deal with that because I was going to go further. So they, they're forced to, they're upset. You can see it. They're upset. They're uptight. We don't know what to do. Man, if we keep on letting Jesus go like this, he keep doing all these signs. He's going to do the very thing that we don't want him to do. We are trying to get the people to reject Jesus as the Messiah. Don't go with that. But he keeps doing these things. We are not going to have any effect in the end. The people are going to believe in him because of what he keeps doing. All right. So they had an emergency meeting to deal with these things. And notice what they said here. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That's why I stopped here. I want to make you understand that. Why did they say that the Romans were going to come and take away? Because the people believe in Jesus. They were believing that if the people began to believe in Jesus and accept Jesus as Messiah, in accepting Jesus as Messiah, they would turn away. They, they, would, they would take Jesus to be their king and reject Roman rule over them. And they would understand. They would say, Jesus, is our Messiah. We now reject you Romans as our rulers Jesus is our king and therefore we are going to fight you and lead a resistance against Rome with Jesus as our king. He has proven himself to be the king and the Messiah by the things that he does. Now, Rome ain't going to take that lightly. So Rome is going to put down the Jewish rebellion as, as they take Jesus to be their king. So Rome is going to send the soldiers in, put the Jewish rebellion down. In their putting of the Jewish rebellion down, what is going to happen? The chief priests who were put into their place by the Romans, the chief priests were put into their place by the Romans to control the people. The Romans used the priesthood of the Jewish people to control the people. The Romans were therefore, because now the people are leading a rebellion against Rome with Jesus as their king and leader, the Romans will remove the priesthood and do away with the priesthood as well as the Sanhedrin and put down the Jewish rebellion with physical force. So it's going to be a big time war with the Romans and the Jewish. And of course they're saying, and the Romans ultimately will win. They're going to get rid of us and they're going to squash this rebellion. So this is what they were thinking about. But primarily what they were more concerned with is not so much as putting down the rebellion, but they were more so concerned with losing their position of power. That's what they were more concerned with. All right, now let's continue. 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not only for the nation, but in order that he might also gather together into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So now here we go. So what happened as they were 
musing. They're, they're, they're frantic about what to do about this Jesus. The Romans are going to do something about it if we let it continue. Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year because the, uh, the, the, the Romans appointed the high priest and they would appoint the high priest from time to time. They didn't want the high, the, the position of the high priest was supposed to be according to the law of Moses, a lifetime positions. But so that the priest would not gain too much power, the Romans would appoint who was to be high priest and from time and would determine how long they would serve as high priest. So one man would not get too much power. So Caiaphas, one appointed as high priest by the Romans, began to speak and he began to rebuke them, saying that you know nothing. Now, let me just simply deal with what he was saying. Pilate was speaking as high priest and God allowed him to prophesy, even though Caiaphas was not intending to prophesy. God used him as the high priest in office to prophesy. So there were basically two uh, meanings to what Caiaphas is saying. Now, Caiaphas is saying of himself, that is, for himself, Caiaphas is speaking politically. That what? It's better that the Romans kill Jesus and that the rest of the nation be preserved. So politically, of himself, Caiaphas is saying, y'all don't know what you're talking about. It's better if the Romans do come and put down an insurrection, let Jesus be held responsible for an insurrection against Rome. And that was Jesus's actual final charge in insurrection against Rome. But let Jesus be held as an insurrectionist against Rome so that the rest of the nation don't have to be held for this, be charged for this account and let Jesus die only. Let Jesus be the only somebody to die in this insurrection. So that's what Caiaphas was saying from a political perspective. But John, the writer of the gospel of John, understood, John understood that this was a prophetic utterance that he was giving allowed by God that what? Jesus should die for the sins of the Jewish people. And so John was understanding Caiaphas' words to not simply be political, but also prophetic to fulfill Isaiah 53, that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was laid upon him, and because by his stripes we are healed. So, John understood the words of Caiaphas to be prophetic, to simply say that Jesus would suffer for the Jewish people. And then when he talks about the children who were spread abroad, that's for the Gentiles. When Jesus would talk about other sheep I have that he mentioned him being the shepherd and the flock. He just talked about that. John chapter 10. Other sheep that I have that are not of this fold, them too must I also bring. And we will be, there will be one shepherd, Jesus, and one flock, Jew and Gentile. So John is bringing in this idea prophetically from the mouth of Caiaphas that Jesus would die for the sins of the Jewish people as well as the sins of the Gentiles who would be one in the flock of Jesus, Jew 
and Gentile. Okay. One children of God who are scattered abroad. So the point is, Caiaphas said, the, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make, make it so that Jesus has to answer to the charge of insurrection and not the people. That, that was what Caiaphas said. Charge of insurrection has one penalty, death. So therefore, once again, the Sanhedrin had come together and they had now, here is official rendering from the Sanhedrin that we will have Jesus put to death for the charge of insurrection against Rome. That's why verse number 53 says, so from that day on, they planned together to kill him. It was their plan, no longer to simply stone Jesus, have him stoned, or for them to kill Jesus. They wanted Jesus to be killed by what? By the Romans. The Romans will come, take away our place. They wanted Jesus to suffer the penalty for insurrection and be put to death by the Romans. All right, let's bring this to a close. 54, therefore, what? Since the uh, um, Sanhedrin had planned to kill Jesus and they were getting ready to kill Jesus, having put to death by the Romans, Jesus is not going to do anything to push his time. What? Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests, and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. All right. So what happened? Remember now, Jesus would never do anything to rush his time. Jesus would die according to the will of the father, timetable of the father, the man of the father by way of crucifixion. Everything had to be done according to the timetable of God. It was not. So therefore, Jesus did what? As he normally did. He withdrew because he knew they would kill him, but Jesus would only die according to the time of God. So he didn't walk publicly no more, but he withdrew into a place called Ephraim with the disciples. So now we come in verse number 55 to the final Passover of Jesus. We're getting close to come to the final Passover of Jesus. And this is this final Passover. And the people have now come and they are gathered together. Jesus would always come to the, the three feasts. Remember the three feasts that are Jews, all Jewish males, uh, it was necessary for them to come. The feast of the Passover, feast of the uh, uh, Passover unleavened bread, feast of Pentecost, the feast of ingatherings or tabernacle Sukkot. Same thing, same idea, those three feasts. Jesus would always come. So Jesus would always come to the feast of the Passover. And Jesus, the people expected him to come to the Passover and they would see Jesus come to the Passover and do the normal thing that he would normally do come to the temple and teach. But this time, Jesus is not make, making the public proclamation right now to teach right now, right now. He is going to come. He is going to come, but not right now. But the people are beginning to wonder as they themselves are gathering in preparation for the Passover. They want to be able to eat the Passover. So they want to make sure that they are ceremonially clean. So they are preparing themselves so that they can enjoy the Passover and celebrate the Passover while they are there expecting Jesus, they begin to ask one another, do you think he's going to come? Do you think he's going to come? We really expect him to come. 
And but what? The priests had already gathered together. They have already given an official judgment. What? We're going to have Jesus convicted of uh, sedition against Rome, insurrection, right? So they have already made the commandment of, to the people. If anybody should see Jesus, you let us know so we can have him arrested. The idea is to have him arrested, convicted of sedition. For them, they're going to have him convicted of blasphemy against God. But as far as the Romans, they're going to have him convicted of sedition against Rome. Okay. And then therefore Rome would have Jesus put to death. But ultimately it would be by the hands, the workings of the, the chief priests, chief priests are the Sadducees and the Pharisees, chief priests are over the temple through them. They would have the accomplishment of Jesus being put to death. All right. Whew, I'm tired guys. All right. Thanks for joining me with that quick rehearsal. And I mean a very quick one. What do we learn? The whole idea of the miracle of Lazarus, when they came to Jesus in the first place, Jesus did not go immediately, but he waited two days. And the reason why he waited two days was so that Lazarus would be dead and decayed so that, according to Jewish belief, that the spirit of Lazarus would have gone into Sheol and his body would have entered into decay because it was believed, it was known, only God could restore a dead body and bring the spirit back from the land of departed spirits, Sheol, paradise, and restore it back into a restored body. Only God could do this. So what? John, the writer of the Gospel of John, uses this particular miracle, and Jesus said himself, this sickness is not ultimately for the death of Lazarus, but the glory of God, even what? The glory of the Son of God, the title, the divine title of Jesus, so that what? You may know that he is God. So the miracle of Lazarus was one of the greatest feats of Jesus. He did something again, what? Saying only God. Can do this. All right, guys, thanks for joining me with all of that. If you can say, Pastor Lee, thank you for these lessons. And if you say, and God so does touch your heart, and I'm asking you to come alongside of me, say, these lessons have really been a blessing to me, and I've learned so much through your teachings by the grace of God. Will you partner with me and support this ministry? There is always a link in every description on these videos that shows you how you can support this ministry. And I pray God touches your heart that you might do so and allow us to continue to bring you these word for word teachings in the word of God. And for those of you who have supported and blessed this ministry, may I say thank you for all that you do. All right, guys, thanks for joining me with that. Join me next time as we continue in John chapter 12 as we deal with some of the final moments of Jesus' life before he is crucified. See you then.